0: daughter, my Arlo star plays the cello, our number two daughter plays the violin. There's four of them, so I number them. It's just easier. <laughs> <clears throat> to the choir, if I had to choose two songs that are dear to me, those would be the two songs. And in fact, that last song you uh, chose to sing, uh, that blessing, I just uh, have a book that's just been out recently about the resurrection. It's called "The Third Day," and I write about the power of that song during, uh, during the pandemic and how helpful it was to me. I think I, 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 sometimes we get things in our head that aren't right, but they feel right. I think it was the last song that the choir sang as I left a 25-year relationship with the church I loved. And it was their way of releasing me to this work and of saying, Christ is with you. And so I'm just this one person who experienced you this way. But I just bet everybody here was touched by this music in some other way. Is that true? Just just show of hands. I mean, don't, don't raise your hand if it's not true, but if it's true... Just raise your hand. So I went no, raise them up. They need to see your hands. I want them to see your hands. Now, now here's what here's the reason I tell you that. You all make decisions about how to use your gift. And some of us, I mean, all of us love music, and many of us have those shower voices. (laughs) Or a car voice. I'm I'm killing it in my car. Can I just tell you that? (laughs) I am so good in the car. I mean, I would never pick up a guitar or a bass or a piano. You don't want me to do that. But in the car and in the shower. I I don't want to say I'm awesome, but I, I, you know. (laughs) But my point is, you all actually have a gift, and you could use it anywhere you want. But when you use it in church and when you use it for worship, we connect with God in a way that we never would otherwise. And suddenly, the congregation has an experience that reminds us that God is real, that the Holy Spirit is saying something to us in this very moment because of the medium of music. And I just want to thank you all for what you do. Would you thank them too? (laughs) All right. And I, You're going to have to pray for me in a minute, because they, they got me in a little bit of an emotional mess, so I'm, <laughs> I'm working through that. The Gospel of John, chapter 1, verses 43 to 51, a great passage to start Lent, but I'm not sure if the, if the lectionary or however you choose Scripture here, I don't, I, don't, I don't know if you've ever used this, but I think it's a great Lenten a way to start the season of Lent. You'll notice the purple on the cross. And I say that because the Lent is a 40-day, you don't include the Sundays, but a 40-day period in which we devote ourselves to our walk with Christ. And those who do it with intentionality actually grow deeper in their faith, and those who don't, don't. So it's just a decision you make about what you want to do. But it's the church kind of holds it as this season where we're we're going toward Holy Week and then, of course, toward the resurrection itself. This is a passage where people have to decide who is Jesus, which I would argue is what we're all doing, but let me not preach the sermon now. The next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee, this very beginning of his ministry. Finding Philip, he said to him, follow me. Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethesda. Bethsaida. Philip found Nathanael and told him, we have found the one whom Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote. Jesus of Nazareth the son of Joseph. Nazareth. Can anything good come from there? Nathanael asked. I love this next three words. Would you say it with me? It's right on the bottom of the screen, those three words. Philip said to him, come and see. When Jesus saw Nathanael approaching, he said to him, here is a true Israelite in whom there is nothing false. Two different versions. This is the New International. That's the New Revised version. Go back one slide for me. And you'll notice in the New Revised, it says, in him whom there is no deceit. You know what the old King James says? An Israelite in whom there is no guile. Don't you love the word? Say guile out loud. Guile. I think we ought to start using that again. (laughs) An Israelite in whom there is no guile. Okay. When Jesus saw Nathanael approaching, he said to him, oh, no, I said that. Um, Verse 48. How do you know me? Nathanael asked. And Jesus answered, I saw you while you were under the fig tree before Philip called you. Then Nathanael declared, Rabbi, Rabbi, You are the son of God. You're the king of Israel. Jesus said, you believe because I told you that I saw you under a fig tree. You shall see greater things than these. And then he added, I tell you the truth. You will see the heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the son of man. This is the word of God for the people of God. Be to God. I wonder if you pray for me and with me for a moment. Lord, I pray that, um, that your spirit would be with the one who preaches, just as you've been with the one who prayed and the one who, those who sang and, and those who began worship today. That in all aspects of this time, we would feel your presence and know that you have a word for us and it's, it's perhaps different for everyone who's here. So I pray that for that thing that only the Holy Spirit can do, which is the way that you speak to us in worship, so that when we leave, we are comforted or discomforted, we are encouraged or we are distressed. We are reminded of your Lordship in ways that make us desire to change into the beautiful likeness of Christ. So I pray that you would use this time today. Amen. I want you to think about who's influenced your life for a moment. Who's influenced your life? And it would be interesting if I could do a survey and have each of you put it like the top three by title, like parent, sibling, friend. And I, here's my bet. I bet if I, I gave you three blanks to fill out and then we looked at all the lists, I bet the majority of lists would mention a, a word. Teacher. Teachers really influence us. Has that been your experience? In fact, I'm just curious, how many of you would put a, a teacher, Think you're thinking of a teacher in your top three? Just how many? OK. So you can, you can see, I love it when I'm right. Don't you love it when you're right? I, I love it when I'm right. I'm not always right. So when I'm right, I really like it. And, and the, the teacher that I thought about the other day, I feel like I'm too, too loud, and I can't tell if it's the proximity of speakers. Am I okay you were OK out there. All right, good. So um, Mr. Porterfield, I was in an art museum a while back with our, one of our daughters, um, the violin daughter and her husband. And my wife Karen, I'm sorry my wife Karen isn't here, by the way, she sends her her regrets. Um, there's a story to that, but we don't have time for it. And we were in this art museum, and I looked around the art museum, I looked at all the paintings as we walked through, it was over in Orlando. And I said, uh, no, it was over in Sarasota. And, and I said, oh, this, this person collected Italian Renaissance and Baroque. I felt great about me that I knew that. And you could, it wasn't, it's not that hard. I mean, broke, it's those puffy angels, you know. Those really puffy, big angels look like marshmallows. And Italian Renaissance just is that's like lots of biblical scenes with people who look like they're from Italy instead of Palestine. That's all it is. So it's not, it's not hard to know, but, but I knew that because of Mr. Porterfield, because when I was a junior in high school, I took humanities in the high school I went to, and it was largely known that that was one of the hardest classes in the entire high school, was humanities. I don't even know if they teach that anymore. They should, but I don't know if they do. And Mr. Porterfield, the way he did it is he put, a ch- he had a chalkboard, y'all remember chalkboards? And it was, it was at the whole front of the classroom, and for the exam he would put up art, and then he would play pieces of music, he would play classical music and he would do, put different architecture and all these things and you had, to, you had to walk up and identify what each picture was and there were, there were usually a hundred of them. And before the exam, I would say, Mr. Porterfield, what, what should we study for the exam? And he said, Tom Berlin, the key to the exam, if you want to do well, is to know everything. <laughs> and he said, if you know everything, you're going to do just fine on my exam. And I was like, that's it. And he said, that's it. And he, I mean, the papers were always long and, and multiple edits. And, and, and the, the projects were intense, a one-year project for that class. But you know what? Now I'm this age, and I'm still walking around with things that he taught me. That's the power of a teacher. Teachers open us up to new worlds, new thoughts, new things that we never would have known otherwise. Are any of you teachers? Any of you teachers? Raise your hand if you're a teacher. You have no teachers? This is terrible. Oh, there they are. Hey, let's, you know what? Let's thank the teachers. Let's thank the teachers. Yeah, let's be grateful for the teachers. Okay, some people think that Jesus is a great teacher. So want to. I want to put that here. Some people think, you know, that Jesus, he's a great teacher. He opens me up to new thoughts. He's really wise. He's really smart. He's got a lot of things to teach us. I like that Jesus. He's a good teacher. But Jesus, of course, did not see himself as a teacher, nor did the people who followed him. Jesus saw himself as a rabbi, which is different from being a teacher, because teachers only get us for a, a short period of time. So you go to math from 9 to 10, you go to English from 10 to 11, you go from history from, to 11 or 12. And you just get that one teacher, and you've got multiple teachers during the day, but a rabbi is not like that at all. A rabbi is somebody you follow all the time. I mean, Jesus and his disciples, when you think about it, they were on a three-year camping trip. Have any of you ever been camping? Yeah. Hey, do you remember when we went camping? Do you remember? And we were there for three days, and it rained for two, and the tent the tent got wet. And remember, I told you not to touch the tent, but you touched the tent, and then the water started coming inside. And then, and then you know, eventually the wind came, and the tent fell over. Do, you, do everybody remember that? Yeah, and that's why we're so close now right that's why we're so connected because we've been on that camping trip think about the difference between a teacher and a rabbi it's the relationship it's the volume of experiences it's watching the rabbi how does the rabbi function when the rabbi is under stress how does the rabbi function when days are good but how does the rabbi function when everything goes bad and it's rainy and it's wet and it's hard what does the rabbi do when the rabbi hasn't been fed for half a day how does he not become irritable, short-tempered? See, when you followed a rabbi, you weren't just spending an hour. And I, it, did everybody hear me say how important teachers are? You heard that, right? You remember that part? But, but a rabbi is just different. So Philip, when he signs up, when Jesus says, come and follow me, he knows this isn't a teacher, this is a rabbi. That's a different relationship. It, it's a rabbi. Rabbis don't have students, they have disciples. And, you know, what Jesus is looking for is a disciple. You know, the only way Americans usually can tap into what this is like is, do you ever see the Star Wars movies? Right? The relationship between Anakin Skywalker and Obi-Wan Kenobi is quite different than the relationship I had with Mr. Porterfield. Is that fair? It's just different. Why? Because of the proximity and the duration. And, the, and, and this belief. This person might really change my life. But notice that Philip is beginning to take Jesus' identity. Remember, Philip never signed up for a teacher. He knew that's what, not what it was. That's, and it, this is what's hard for Americans about Jesus. Many of us want to keep him as a teacher. I'll say more about that in a minute. But Philip in, has been invited to, to follow Jesus as a rabbi, but he, he just he just takes it one step further. When he asks Jesus, when he talks about Jesus, he, he goes to Nathanael, he says, we have found him about whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote. Did you catch the first part of this? We have found the one that Moses and the prophets wrote. And then he says, it's Jesus, son of Joseph, from Nazareth. Now keep that slide up, because I want to look at this verse for just a second with you. He's saying two things, isn't he? He's saying on the one hand, those are what are called messianic titles. This is the one that Moses wrote about in the law. This is the one the prophets talked about. It's, this is... This is the Christ, is what he's saying. But then notice the second thing he says: "This is Jesus." And then how does he identify him? Son of jo- say it with me. This is where you all talk. Jesus, son of, son of Joseph, from Nazareth. Nazareth. Yeah, and Nazareth, friends, Nazareth was a backwater town. I mean, I don't know what you would use here in Florida for that. Let's not say it out loud. Somebody may be from there. It won't go you. But it's that town. And so what Phillips is he's doing is two things at once. He's saying, this is the, the one that Moses and the prophets wrote about. He doesn't say Christ, he doesn't say Messiah, but that's what he's sort of focused on. And then he says, this is the son of Joseph. And it's this conflict that everybody has when you move from rabbi to the next stage, which is, is he human or is he divine? Is he another rabbi? Or is this the one that God's been promising to us from the beginning of time? Is this the guy? Is this the one? Because let me tell you, a teacher can really open your life and change you. Would you all agree? But a rabbi, you follow a rabbi for three years, that's significantly going to change you. Would you agree? But what if he's the Christ? What if he's the Messiah? We're talking about the power of identity. We're talking about how it changes you to think of Jesus in a different way than you may unconsciously think of Jesus. And I'll tell you what I think a lot of us do as Christians, even though we said we want to follow Jesus and, and, we, and we want the Messiah, many of us keep Jesus over here as a teacher because you know the great thing about a teacher? You get to leave the classroom, right? Hey. I took the calculus. I did it. I took it in high school. I took it in college. Can I tell you something about calculus? I just don't use it. I just, in this job, I don't do a lot of calculus. It really helps me because it it helped me understand how to order my thinking, step-by-step progression. But, But do I use it? No. Am I against it? No. I'm just telling you, I left it in the classroom. But the stuff that Jesus teaches you, you don't get to leave behind. It's a way of life. It's a way of of thinking. It's a way of treating people. It's what comes out of your mouth and what goes through your head. It is how I treat every single person around me when I get up in the morning. It's how I treat my spouse, my family, everybody. It's what I say about people in the community who I don't even know, including the guy on I-4 who follows me around and cuts me off every single time. It's the same truck. I don't get it, but it's the same truck. It's always cutting me off. And it's how I think about that guy as he almost shears the front of my car off. Have you ever met that guy? You all don't drive on I-4, apparently. It's nice to be you. So what am I saying? I'm saying there's a difference in these three spaces. And Nathaniel, Nathaniel, when he hears this, well, let me, let me show you a, a quote by Gail O'Day. Gail O'Day uh, is a biblical scholar and a commentator on the Bible, and she says, the decision to be a disciple is inseparable from the decision one makes about Jesus' identity. And you know what she's saying? She's saying, if you keep Jesus over here, you're going to have one experience of discipleship, and can I just tell you something? It's not going to do much. And if you put Jesus here as the rabbi, that's going to be a different experience and that's going to have different effect. But if Jesus becomes your savior, your messiah, here's a word, Lord. That is something totally different. And the Lenten journey in many ways is predicated on whether I see Jesus as a teacher, whether I see Jesus as a rabbi, or whether I see Jesus as the Lord. And so when Nathanael hears Philip talking about this, he just throws up this great question. He goes, he goes can anything good come from Nazareth? I mean, are you kidding me? You're, you're saying he's here and he's from Nazareth? I mean, you've got to be kidding me. But Jesus comes up to, to Nathanael and he says, uh, here's an Israelite in whom there's no guile. Here is an Israelite in whom there's no deceit. And Nathaniel realizes that Jesus sees something in him that no one else can quite see. And you know what I love about it? Jesus doesn't see a sin or a fault or a flaw. Jesus sees beauty. He sees a beauty in Nathaniel. Some of you, some of you have the hardest time believing that there is deep beauty in you. And when we don't believe that there's deep beauty enough us, us, we deny the image of God that God placed there. See, my ability, if I walk down there, will this reverb? Can I walk down there with a the mic? See, here's the deal. If I can see beauty in you, but you can't see beauty in you, I'm seeing the image of God in your soul, and you're denying it. Does that make sense? Does that make sense? Because Jesus had this amazing ability to look at people and say, here's an Israelite in whom there's no guile. You're you're that good. And friends, it doesn't matter whether you're here in the sanctuary right now, or if you're at home, your cameras are here, I'm, I'm looking for where they are, or whether you're at home, what I want you to think about is Jesus sees a beauty inside you that no, no teacher could see as well, and no rabbi can see as well, but if he's the Lord, he's right. And so the, the response hits Nathaniel, and he looks at me and he goes, no, he's ever no, he's, and it's not that he's got a pride problem, but he just, nobody's ever seen that in me. Nobody's ever seen. And he says, You, and I want to make sure, oh, put the quote up, you are the Son of God. You're the King of Israel. Now we're into messianic titles, okay? So again, He's not saying, wow, you're a sharp teacher. He's not saying, you're a great rabbi. He's now saying, you are the son of God. You are the, read it with me. Hey, everybody, let's pick up the adrenaline just a little bit. If I got to do it, you got to do it. Like, let's say the whole thing. And let's, but let's do it with a little, can you be as good as them this morning? Amen. Okay, are you ready? Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. And I don't I don't think he just went, You're the son of God, you're the king of. I mean, we do that in church, right? We read scripture that way sometimes. But to think about the experience, and suddenly Nathaniel knew that Jesus was far more than a teacher from Nazareth. He was the son of God. He was the king of Israel. Now let me ask you: is he ready to follow? Yes or no? Quick. Yes or yeah, of course he is. He's like, this is it. This is the one. Like, I'm in. Three-year camping trip that I hadn't planned on two minutes ago. Yes. <laughs> Just put me in the VW. I'm ready. Right? And, and he's ready to change his life. Because nothing, nothing changes our life more than discovering Jesus' identity. Nothing will get us to do things we never thought we would do. Like discovering Jesus' identity. Which is why when people live over here admiring the teaching, it's good. And when they accept Jesus as a rabbi and they want to get closer, that's better. But when you get into this space and you say, you are the son of God. Oh, it's the best. It's the best. Because short of that, we can have information Information without transformation. You hearing that? You can have information without transformation. And you know what? You can go to church your whole life and get all the sermons and read and go to the small groups and read the stuff and it's information and information. If I just get a little more information and yet the way you treat people, the what you think about, the harshness of your heart, of your heart, the, the stuff that comes out of your mouth and goes through your mind. It's never changed. I had this guy one time, I was in a church when I first started. I was young, I didn't really know what I was doing, but I was doing my best. And, and I, was in, I was just in there trying to be a good pastor. And we had this church meeting, and during the church meeting, the guy who was the um, chair of the trustees kind of blew up during the meeting. I mean, it was was really unexpected. He just blew up over something. He got very angry, and he got angry at the finance chair, which I thought was really awkward because it was his wife. Yeah, it was his wife. I mean, it was just right there in front of God and everybody. And and she was obviously accustomed to this because I want to tell you, she stared him down like a pro. She was like, she was not playing. That's what I'm saying. She just looked at him until he just brought it back down. But he said some things about the, how the money was used. He said some things about me. Just, it's just very awkward. And the next day, I was all riled up and anxious about this. And I went to somebody who had known um, him for a long time, and I said, "I'm just, how do I help him?" And she said, "What are you talking about?" And I said, "Well, you were there. How he kind of blew up. How do I help him?" And she, said, she started laughing. She goes, "You're not going to help him." And I said, what do you mean? She said, hey, I've known him my whole life. Can I tell you something? He used to blow up like that on the playground when we were in elementary school. She said, guess what? When we got to to junior high, that's what they called it back then. When we got to junior high, he used to blow up in the classroom when he didn't get his way. When he got to high school, he was the same way. He's been like this from the time he was a child until the time that now he's in his 60s. And here's the problem. He had been going to church his entire life. And he had information, say it with me, he had information without transformation. And I'm asking, what's going on in your life? I'm asking you, what's going on in your life? Because many of us have a whole bunch of information, but the God's honest truth, if we, asked, if we handed a survey sheet about our lives to the people that were closest and dearest to us who saw us the most and said, how do I treat you? Do I ever show contempt or do I show love? Do I gossip or do I tell the truth and just actually act in grace? Do I show mercy or am I harsh? We might be shocked the results we would get back. But the beautiful thing about transformation is we actually change. And there is beauty in us because God's image in us and the beauty in us when it begins to come out and express itself, it's such, such a blessing. It's so amazing what happens when Jesus actually becomes your Lord. It's just, it's so, I I had this woman who showed up at a Bible study one time. She, she hadn't been to church for a long time. She had dropped out. I don't even know why. She, and she just found our church. I don't know how she found it. It was this church I was at that I told you about earlier. And her name's Katie. And Katie started coming. She, she came to church on Sunday. And on Wednesday morning, she showed up in the in the pastor's Bible study that I used to lead years ago. And we were discussing that day the passage where Jesus says you have to forgive people, you know, how, how many times you have to forgive, 40 times 40, and, you know, all that. And, and Katie, Katie is very outspoken. And even, even if you've only met Katie once, she's going to tell you everything she thinks. She is not going to wait to get to know you before you know her. Does that make sense? And Katie, lovely, lovely woman, but just right there. And Katie raised her hand. She said, I'm not doing this. And I said, say more, because I thought, now the Bible says getting interesting. (laughs) Somebody's finally saying out loud what they're thinking inside. She said, I'm not doing this. I said, why aren't you doing this? She goes, because my ex-husband, who I'm going to call Mac, she said, my ex-husband Mac did me wrong over and over and over until I finally left. And it was a hard thing to do, and I am not forgiving him for what he did he was bad to me, he was bad to our daughter, he's just bad and I'm never going to forgive him. I said, well, that sounds really hard. And I said, what do you think about Jesus saying? We have to forgive people over and over and over. What do you think about that? She said, I just don't think it can be done. I don't think it can be done is right here. Amen. You, you, are you with me? I don't think that can be done. So Katie stays in the Bible study for like a couple of years. She's coming to the church for a couple of years. And, and she's the great thing about passionate people is when you get them passionate about Jesus, it's kind of remarkable what they can do. And so Katie got over into this space where Jesus was her Lord, and she got more and more passionate about that. And then we're in the Bible study one day, and I don't even know what we were talking about. And Katie goes, hey, everybody. Oh, it was a prayer time. We were having a prayer time. And she said, she said hey, everybody, I want you all to pray for me. I'm, I'm starting to forgive Mac." And I mean, I stopped the, the presses right there. I just say, I said, Katie, you've got to tell us about this. Because we had heard a few things over the two years about Mac. <laughs> and I said, you've got to tell us about this. And she said, Mac has cancer. And she said, you know what I realized? Nobody likes Mac. And Mac called me. And he didn't ask for anything. He just told me what was going on. And I realized, I'm the only person who really talks to him. So I've decided I'm going to take his phone calls and encourage him. She came back a couple months later. She said, I want you all to pray for Mac. We said, why? And she said, I think Jesus is going to make me take food to him now. (laughs) (laughs) Because he's in these treatments, and he can't make food. And she said, nobody else is going to make food. So I think I'm going to have to do it. And then she came like three months later and, say, and, and she was joyful. She said, you know, I kind of look forward to his call. And somebody goes, are you getting back together with Mac? And she went, oh, no. No, that is never, ever going to happen. But she said, isn't it nice? Jesus gives me joy. And then months later, she said, pray for the family because Mac died. And not everybody reconciled. And see, those those just who thought love was a suggestion when you can do it, forgiveness is a suggestion if you can get around to it, if it's not too hard. They, when he died, had a weight and ropes coming out of their life to this mess of the past. But see, Katie had taken the weight off and had cut all the ties, and she was free. And she's lived that way ever since. And the difference is... Is Jesus your teacher? Good. Is Jesus your rabbi? Better. Is Jesus your Lord, the Son of God, the King of Israel? Best. Because you will be your best and your life will have the best. Do you hear me? And it's such a shame, it's such a shame when people go to the church their whole life and the God's honest truth is they've got all the information. They've got all the information, but none of the transformation. transformation. And the power of identity is this. Once we accept Jesus for who he really is, everything changes. Jesus knows you in the exact way you knew Nathaniel. Jesus can look right into your life right now, whether you're sitting by yourself at home, whether you're in this sanctuary, whether you're one of these wonderful musicians and singers, to all of us, He can look right into your life and he sees the beauty, and what he's trying to do is let the beauty. What if your Lenten journey, the next 40 days, was about figuring out how do I really see Jesus? You want to know if Jesus is your Lord? You stop being so resistant to all the things he asks you to do. You just stop doing it. You stop, when when people say you're cranky, instead of saying, I'm not cranky, you start saying, Well, oh, that's not how I'm supposed to be. When you're somebody you need to forgive, and you're like, I'm never going to forgive. Instead, you start going, oh, I think Jesus is going to make me forgive. You just let go of so much stuff that when we get to the end of our lives, it's just junk. And you start taking hold of the treasures. Aren't we so lucky that we've met Jesus? Amen? Amen and amen.